I'm Dr. G, and for the past 10 years of my life, I've been passionate about all things holistic healing. I've been committed to healing myself and others from the inside out by incorporating some of the most effective modalities for healing the mental, the emotional, and the physical. I've learned that they give us the opportunity to be our most authentic and powerful selves. Heal Thyself is a show dedicated to just that. Today's show is going to be incredible, and I say it every week, of course I do, because it is incredible. Knowledge bombs of digestible information to empower and create clarity on what the highest version of us looks like. Product reviews to provide informed consent so you can buy the safest and best products out there, better than the first two that I spoke about, and you're getting other B vitamins, which are energizing, right? Get off of it, throw it away. And special guest segments with some of the brightest and most elite minds in their field. So what is that like on my nervous system? Six hours of holding that emotion. Here's the earth, here's the mechanisms and mechanics of an earth when it breathes. We would think much different about that asthma patient that shows up. All to create change in all the parts that make you, you, so we can start healing ourselves and each other. Hey, all right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Heal Thyself. As always, taking the time out of your day. I'm grateful and really happy to have you here. So what's going on today's show? A lot of people have asking for me to do the uh, protein powder review. So it was supposed to be recorded a month ago, but I had a bunch of shows that I wanted to put out there because I was just really feeling inspired. But guess what? I feel inspired right now. The protein or snack bar, we'll call it snack bar show is here. The top snack bars, and um, I know a lot of you are on the road or bring these as a snack during your work day, but we really wanna make sure we have a really good quality snack bar every single day. So I wanna just bring to you some really good quality ones that we found in our research. We went over a bunch and I'll go through each of the categories, finding out which one is ultimately the best one out there. And today's special guest is going to be Austin Perlmutter. He's a medical doctor who is really passionate about brain health and gut health and overall mental health. And uh, Austin, really young gun out there, he's, he's so well-spoken and he's like a library when it comes to all of the newest research that has to do with mental health. So he's going to talk to us about his favorite interventions, the most powerful scientific interventions out there for better mental health. And this show is really not just for you, it's for everyone, because everyone at some point suffer with it's a little bit of anxiety, a little, little bit of a depression, just feeling off, or it goes on a huge spectrum. There's a lot of people out there who are suffering. So this show is really, really important for us all. And I really love Austin as a person, so he'll really be showing up with some good stuff today. All right, Knowledge Bomb segment. Really quick, I just want to talk a little bit about these snack bars. A lot of snack bars are out there. It's a massive, massive industry. And you know it because you go to Whole Foods and you look and it's a whole wall and just layer of layer of layer of just snack bars and snack bars and all different colors and all different words and ingredients and certifications and to me, sometimes I'm like, oh, where do I even start, right? And before I knew about how to guide myself through these aisles or through this wall of snack bars, it was just a little bit overwhelming. So my hope is that I can bring to you um, some good knowledge where you can approach it with your own uh, discernment about which one to get. But really quick, before we get into it, I want to talk a little bit about the difference between organic and non-GMO. I've done it on other shows, but really just to refresh you, right? There's a difference between the labels between organic and non-GMO. And I say it because a lot of these bars utilize a non-GMO label, but not the organic. Now, it's really important to know the non-GMO label 
means, and the organic label, means that they both prohibit GMO in the farming and the processing of the product, right? And genetically modified foods from being corn, sugar, soy, uh, some fish. There's different, and you can even Google it right now, GMO foods, and go to the images and you'll see which ones are the most popular ones out there, canola. And uh, those foods really need to be organic more than any. Uh, but there are other foods that should be or really need to be organic as well. I sort of think about it as a tier, and we'll learn a little bit more about it on the product review. But GMO foods are really controversial. You know that because, or we may know that, or maybe you don't know that, but they utilize a super toxic pesticide called glyphosate, and we know that this affects the gut bacteria. They're connected to multiple, multiple cancers. Uh, we know that this was admitted by the scientists in-house for Monsanto Bayer. This was admitted by the executives in-house at Monsanto Bayer in legal documents. So it's no surprise, like it's coming out. And um, I always am kind of weary of people who just take a complete pro-GMO stance without being like, well, maybe, just maybe. That was really implicating a few years ago in 2018 when they were, or 2019 when they were, when those legal papers went out. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back to the Monsanto paper show that I did if you want to learn more. But it's not a secret anymore. These are super toxic. And uh, it's just a matter of how long it takes the scientific community to look deeper than the research and to see what's going on and who's funding that research. And if one of those papers are the ones that were funded by Monsanto or all the controversy that came behind it. So USDA organic and non-GMO are trustworthy when it comes to, like I mentioned, prohibiting GMO farming and process. The problem is the non-GMO label ends there. Uh, what USDA organic does that non-GMO doesn't is that they test for GMO residues during multiple levels of production, right? Unlike non-GMO, USDA organic also prohibits the use of chemicals and synthetic fertilizers, which is probably the biggest flaw in the non-GMO uh, verification movement. In addition, the USDA Organic prohibits antibiotics and synthetic hormones in any of the animal products, as well as things like artificial colors, flavors, and preservatives. It's a massive difference. So the whole point is, if you see a non-GMO label, non-GMO project verified, it doesn't mean that much. If you see a USDA Organic label next to it, it means a lot more, right? Because it cannot be non-GMO verified and not USDA Organic, but it can be USDA organic, and that already covers non-GMO verified. So it's really important that label is the umbrella for everything else. So you want that USDA organic, all right? Other things that are really important when you look for a bar are the sugar levels, the protein level, and the fiber level, right? And those levels are super important because the way that they, no. and those levels are super important because they determine a lot of how our body's gonna respond to the product, right? The sugar's really, really high, protein and fiber are really, really low, your blood sugar's gonna spike up, right? Your insulin's gonna go up. And if you do this over time, it's gonna cause some issues and inflammation in your body. So it's really important for us to understand how to shop for a protein bar. The goal is, is that you, I'm gonna name some of my favorite ones, but then maybe a new one comes out that I didn't cover. But at least you'll have the criteria to find out which one is the best of the best for you. So before we get to the product review, I haven't eaten many of these snack bars. So, uh, taste is not integrated in any of these results. Um, with that said, it's up to you. Taste varies anyway. Uh, I will mention the ones that I have tasted before, but as a whole, yeah, these snack bars um, are up to you to taste especially. So I'm gonna name some of the best ones and I want you to try them all out if you enjoy them. Uh, but remember, I would never eat a snack bar over a whole food plate of food in front of me. 
a meal. So it should never be a replacement for a meal. If you're eating snack bar for lunch instead of lunch, right, with greens and all the colors of the rainbow, plants, uh, or plant-based foods, it's then you're doing yourself a disservice. Let's get to this product review and I really wanna dive into these snack bars. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us wanna look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. And you want something truly effective that is safe. Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best and they're always at health events and people are loving them and their quality. Alitura Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you ask me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, rosehip oils, and the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products. GHKCU and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alituria Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. All right, let's face it. With all the toxins we're exposed to nowadays with processed foods, pollutants, and even stress, our poor livers have been working overtime. If you've been feeling sluggish, bloated, or just overall rundown, it may be time to give your hardworking liver some extra love and support. That is where Organifi's Liver Detox comes in. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfoods. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfood ingredients specifically designed to remove excess toxins and improve digestion, promote healthier energy levels, and just overall liver health. Now, one of the key ingredients is artichoke leaf extract, which has been clinically proven to help detoxify the liver and digestive tract. Then you got the all-star liver protector. You heard of it, milk thistle, an herb that has been used for centuries to give your liver a big old hug. That's not all. Organifi's Liver Detox also contains dandelion root, one of my favorite ones of all time, which is loaded with vitamins and minerals to promote healthy liver function and digestion. And finally, Trafalia, an ancient Ayurvedic formula packed with antioxidants that have been traditionally used as a powerful liver tonic, one of my favorite ones too. So whether you're dealing with sluggish digestion, low energy, or just want to give your body's main detox engine a little extra love, Organifi's Liver Detox has your back. Just take one to three capsules at any point during the day to start supporting your liver's natural detox pathways. All of us need to be supporting our liver. If you want to experience the energy boosting, liver supporting effects of this fantastic formula, head to OrganifiShop.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I shop.com slash DRG. All right, 2021 snack bar review. Let's just jump right into it. All right. So for starters, the perfect bar, and, I, and I'll mention this, majority of those are not animal-based because... They're the most of the bars out there are not animal based um, unless you go to GNC and then they're going to have a ton of whey and whatever it is people use for uh, bodybuilding and whatnot. But most of these snack bars, and rightfully so, they, I mean, animal products and snack bars are 
are weird for no animal products and snack bars i don't think that they should be there i don't you should i don't think you should be having uh, milk bars every single day or a really poor quality way and like many of these have so let's just jump right in perfect bar way too much sugar 17 18 grams on average fiber is way too low protein is fair at 11 to 13 grams the ingredients seem okay but i'm still wondering why it's even necessary to use milk even if it's organic um it's not a perfect bar it's far from perfect until they remove the milk i don't think it should be in there it can be a much better bar if they remove that milk powder and added it some more fiber RX Bar, man, I've been talking about them for so long. They are the kings of greenwashing. One of the first, back in 2016, it looks like a good bar, right? And if you transition from the standard American diet, yeah, sure, it is a great bar. But if you're eating daily or you're giving it to your kids, then it's a problem, right? Nothing in there is organic. It's got 15 to 17 grams of sugar, which is a problem. It's too much sugar as it is. 12 grams or so protein, okay, but four grams of fiber is too low, especially with that much sugar. And then they claim to use all the clean ingredients. You see it in the front, but they don't claim the natural flavors on the front. It's in the back and you'll see natural flavors, right? And then we'll see RX Bar has nothing about USDA organic. So now you can put two and two together. It has all those natural flavors, right? The potential for the umbrella term up to 80, 90, 100, 200 different ingredients, right? So now you have this bar in the front that looks super simple with clean ingredients, not knowing that there could be a hundred other ingredients of crap in there. So RX bar, prescription bar, my prescription is to throw that away. Nature Valley, as I mentioned, I'm not doing a lot of animal-based snack bars, but I needed to call this one out. It's one of the worst. Uh, the sugar is low. Okay, the protein is fair, but this bar is not organic, but the ingredients were some of the most needed ingredients to be organic. It was crap. It's got vegetable oils, canola oil, inflammatory palm oil, soy, corn, natural flavor, dextrose, sugar. It's a terrible bar. Stay away from the Nature Valley one. And I'll say the same thing about Alani New. It's a terrible snack bar. Yeah, the sugar is low. Protein's good, but my lord, the ingredients are terrible. Processed, inflammatory, heavy, heavy corn-based ingredients, artificial sweeteners that can trick your body to eating more calories later natural flavors, right? Non-organic, the umbrella term for all this crap. One bar literally has glucose syrup, sugar syrup as an ingredient, spiking up the insulin, spiking up your blood sugar. Stay away from this bar. It's a crap bar. It's a crap company. Alani New Fit Snacks should only fit in one spot, and that's the bottom of your garbage can. Another terrible bar is a Cliff Bar. Yeah, good protein, way too much sugar, way too little fiber, not organic. The ingredients are super processed, inflammatory. Don't waste your time, money, or digestive energy on them. Go to a Cliff and drop them off. All right, Lara Bar. I'm sorry, a lot of you love them. Right? They have whole ingredients, look good on the surface, way too much sugar. It's a sugar bar with a little bit of fiber. Doesn't have anything about USDA organic. I think some of them are non-GMO. It still doesn't mean much to me. So I would pass on Lara Bar for some of the better picks later in this show. Rise Bar is meh. It's not organic. It's got the non-GMO label. Simple ingredients, yes. Um, but the cashew and pea protein needs to be organic. 12 grams of sugar, a little bit too much. 15 grams of protein is good, but one gram of fiber, way too low. So I mentioned I'm not doing a lot of animal-based ones, but I wanted to mention Bulletproof really quick. Uh, a lot of people inquired and submitted when I asked about protein bars to do. Look, the sugar is low, the protein is fair, the fiber is pretty good. Uh, I just wish they had better quality ingredients. They're, for being so popular, they should be doing a lot better. Um, the nuts need to be organic. 
cocoa needs to be organic. Erythritol, a lot of people have digestive issues, so they wouldn't do very well on them. And the natural flavors, they, if they're going to have them in there, it has to be organic. So Bulletproof is really missing the uh, boat on this. All right, NoCal is interesting. NoCal you'll see at most airports even, uh, and I think 7-Elevens. Uh, I love that they're not using any dairy, uh, but it doesn't have any other labels. And if you look at the nutrition facts, it's got over 20 grams of protein, which is great and 15 grams of fiber, which is awesome. Uh, but the ingredients are crappy, right? No quality certification labels. Pea protein should be organic, it's in there. It's got corn fiber. Glycerin, which usually comes from corn, can be genetically modified. Almonds need to be organic. It's got palm oil in there. Um, it's sustainable, I, I believe, which always palm oil should be sustainable. You should research what it does to uh, orangutans, in the f orangutans in the forest, but palm oil is super inflammatory as it is. It's got erythritol, a lot of people have digestive issues. I can't consume erythritol and it's got natural flavors. So, I mean, if you're on the go and you need to eat something, say for example at the airport, then go ahead, but it shouldn't be part of your diet. Bobo Opar, really quick, needs less sugar, more fiber, protein is fair. Um, I love that they use organic oats, right? Anytime you have oats in something, especially like a snack bar, it should be organic always. It's very important to get that. But they use vegetable glycerin, pea protein, and rice flour in many of their bars, and that needs to be organic. So keep an eye out for that guy. Vega, like the protein powder, is trash. It's got the non-GMO label. It means nothing to me. It's got natural flavors, vegetable glycerin, inflammatory palm oil, sunflower oil can be inflammatory for many people. Um, I prefer to not have it in my stuff. Too much sugar, too little fiber. The same goes for the Trek bar, very similar. One bar, uh, when it comes to the plant-based one, it's it's a better option, but not too much. It has a non-GMO label, okay, but it has non-organic pea, rice, and almond protein. Needs to be organic. Always look for those ingredients organic. Uh, corn fiber, a lot of people are, have sensitivities to corn, but if there is corn, it needs to be organic. It needs an organic label. Palm oil can be, as I mentioned, inflammatory. Look back on the sustainability aspect of it. You know, we, we owe it to have a bigger expansive view rather than ourselves of the world. And uh, we should always look, if anything else, palm oil, it should be sustainable. I'm really big on that. Uh, it has malitol, which are these sugar alcohols can cause a lot of digestive issues like bloating when you have them. And then on top of that, it has natural flavor. So I mean, on the upside, it has a lot of a, a lot of protein in it, which is great, but eh. Bright Bar is another bar that's very similar to it. Now, Zing is interesting. I used to eat this one a long time ago, and it was one of my favorites because I honestly thought they tasted pretty good, but it's just like the Bright Bar. It, it has a non-GMO label. It doesn't mean much. Uh, again, nuts, pea, rice protein. They should always be organic, natural flavor. Stay away unless organic and brown rice syrup can actually spike up your insulin. Many people are sensitive to it, especially when it comes to metabolically. So... I would stay away from that one. Thunderbird Bar back in 2018 was a bar that, shoot, I'll tell you, uh, I, I dated this girl and she was like an affiliate for Thunderbird Bar. So she had tons, she had every flavor. And for some reason, she told me that they were, it was organic. I don't know why I didn't check, I just trusted. So I would just be at her house and I'd, I'd just munch on these every weekend. And the flavors were great and actually they're tasty bars. And, I, and then I started getting a stomach ache after like the third week of doing this and, and, and I didn't know what it was and I kept eating these bars, eating these bars, got worse and worse. And I was like, is it these bars? And I look at the, and I look at them, like, I thought it was whole ingredients. I thought they were all organic. None of them are organic. None of the ingredients are organic. Uh, and it's got fruits and nuts and they always need to be organic fruits and nuts, especially when they're concentrated into a bar. So until they do, I would stay away from Thunder Bar. Nugo, uh, I don't know if you guys know these. Oh, man, I was so obsessed with this like chocolate pretzel flavor they had. Back in 2015, I would go to the supermarket up the street and I'd always get these Nugo bars. The sugar's too high. The protein's pretty good. The fiber's low. Needs to be organic. 
we're getting the idea now. Raw Mantique, not free. I really haven't heard about this one, but some people wanted me to talk about this. It's, it doesn't have an organic label, but it has organic ingredients, which are pretty good. So shout out to them. Uh, it's low sugar. Protein is eh, seven to 10 grams. And uh, the fiber is so-so. It can go up to 10 grams. So that's good. Um, when it comes to flavors, the matcha flavor has the best profile uh, nutritionally. So Scout is so-so, really clean ingredients. I love that. They have too much sugar. 16, 18 grams is too much. Uh, and with that, you need more fiber and they have under 10 grams of fiber. So I like the idea. I like where they're going with the with the bar, Scout bar. They need to just add in more fiber-rich foods to balance it out. Go raw sprouted love. They use basically whole ingredients, but it's too much sugar. Any, anytime you're eating a bar and it's like 15 to 20 grams of sugar, it's way too much even like 13, you know, I try to keep it under 10. Uh, too little protein, too little fiber. BU, B-H-U, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but this is actually one that I've had a few times recently. I can vouch for the taste, it's pretty good, it's okay. Uh, the sugar's low at one gram, which is great, I love that, and the fiber's high, 16 grams. The protein is, it's, if you're looking for a protein bar, it's really not the one. It can go up to 12 grams, which is good, um, but I eat it more for the fiber. And I like them because they're USDA organic. I don't like that they use palm oil, um, which is more of an inflammatory oil. Uh, I would like for them to be using it less or not even using it at all. Urban Remedy is an interesting one. It's a pretty good flavor, mostly organic ingredients. They keep the sugar under 10 grams and the protein about 10. I wish the fiber was a little bit higher. I know a few people who love them. Um, so that it's a pretty good one, actually. Um, again, I just wish that the fiber was a little bit higher, but Urban Remedies one, I haven't tried it, but I'm interested in trying out. Papa Steve's is an interesting one. You'll find it in this brown, maybe recycled paper. Um, they have, we have them over here at the health food store, but uh, it's interesting. It, it's good, but it can be better. Gluten-free is it always a plus, which, is it, which it is, um, and it's non-GMO. They have mostly organic ingredients. The downside is that some of the nuts or seeds that they use are not organic. Um, so it's definitely big. I'm a big proponent. If you guys are out there and finding a bar, look for it to be, especially if it has nuts and seeds, and especially if it has fruits for the organic label, okay? And the same if it has pea protein. A lot of these vegan or plant-based uh, snack bars are using uh, pea protein as a main form, and pea protein has to be organic, all right? So check that out, all right? So on average, the sugar is fairly low with good amount of protein and fiber is fantastic, 10 to 15 grams. So it's good. It's a good trade-off. Um, but Papa Steve still isn't, isn't in the best. It's not in the best tier. Live Bar, I like that it's USDA organic. Uh, I love that they use whole foods. Uh, they could do better with the protein. I'd love to see them add some more protein-rich foods and up the fiber. And if they did, Live Bar would be one of the top ones. Until, until now, it's pretty good. All right, so last time, Go Macro was in the top three. Um, it's, it's a good one. It, could, it still could be better. I still have the same complaints that I did literally my first ever show was on protein bars. And I spoke about Go Macro, uh, what is it, two and a half years ago? Time flies, man, that's crazy. Okay, so uh, I do have a problem with the amount of sugar in Go Macro bars. Even, even 13 grams, even 11 grams, a little bit much, but if you taste it, it's really sweet. Um, and the fiber's too low, it's still two to, three, two to three grams. If you're having 13 grams of sugar in a bar, you need at least eight, nine grams of fiber to really balance it out, and listen, I'm not a food scientist. I don't know how to put flavors together. It might ruin the whole bar. But what I do know from a macronutrient and micronutrient perspective is that we need to do a little bit better with these. They're really tasty. Their new flavors that they came out with are, are fantastic. But the downside is also they use brown rice uh, protein and brown rice syrup 
in the bars, which are a little bit of a concern for me. Um, I don't know if I got a clear answer when I asked about the arsenic level. I have to revisit that, but arsenic and brown rice is an issue, and I've done a show about this, that if you're having rice, not only brown rice, rice at all, you can be exposed to arsenic. So especially if you're eating these every single day, I would be... I would be aware of this. So the Upside, they have all of the certifications across the board. They're one of the cleanest bars out there. Protein is pretty good on average, about 12 grams per bar. It could be better. But I mentioned again, the arsenic thing is a concern because remember, USD Organic does not mean anything about arsenic. But they really go above and beyond. I think it's a really good company. I think they can lower the sugar or keep it the same if they want, but they need to up the fiber and up the protein. All right, so uh, the three uh, best that I found are these. Uh, remember, uh, Go Macro, as long as they made Go Macro and Live Bar, if they made these adjustments, they could be in the top five. All right, so Aloha Bar is new to me. It's like Go Macro, but better. Uh, it has better sugar and protein to fiber numbers. Here they have, I have the document right in front of me, chocolate chip cookie dough, vanilla almond crunch, caramel sea salt. They are USDA organic. They have lower amounts of sugar than the Go Macro Bar at three to five grams. And the protein is about 14 grams, and the fiber is really good. And that's that's a part they have about three times more the fiber than Go Macro, which is why it bumped Go Macro from the top snack bars. But very intriguing ingredients. They use whole ingredients for the most part. I think they could do better on some of them, like the vegetable glycerin. I'm unsure why that's there, or the sunflower, which some people are sensitive to. Um, but uh, when it comes to the bars, I think this is one of the better ones for sure. So Aloha, and this one would, would take place for, as tied for number two, is a Garden of Life organic plant-based performance protein bar. If you remember on my first show ever, and here I have it in front of me, if you remember on my first show ever, this was one of the top bars at the time, and this was like 20... 18, uh, 2019. It's USDA organic non-GMO, and what I appreciate about it is that when you look at the sugar, it's about it's six grams of sugar, low, but then the protein goes up to 20 grams of protein. So if you're super active, this might be a really good replacement for the one you're eating, um, particularly because, as I mentioned, it's USDA organic, but also has a good amount of fiber. It has nine grams of fiber. So the protein, the fiber, and the sugar, when you look at it as a whole, is really good. Up to this point, no snack bar was perfect. Um, when it comes to the ingredients, there are some ingredients that people can be sensitive to. They have palm oil, as I mentioned, could be an inflammatory oil. So I don't think that that should be in here. They also have erythritol, although even if it's organic, a lot of people are sensitive to it, which is actually, unfortunately, the reason why I can't have this bar is because I always bloat and it's because of the erythritol. Um, they have natural flavors, but again, it's organic natural flavor. So Aloha Bar, Garden of Life Performance Bar, uh, the plant-based performance bar, they're, they're not perfect, but they're pretty good ones, especially if you're really into having bars. But the best of the best is going to be this one. All right, for the best snack bar that's out there, near perfect, really good one, is the Dr. Smooth one. And you may have heard me talk about Dr. Smooth. They have their cafe in Miami and New York, and they're, they're moving out one out here to LA. But they also have an amazing line of uh, products online, not only snack bars, but just other stuff. And I'm looking to work with them more because I believe in them. But Dr. Smoot, I was really impressed with the bar when I saw the nutrients, the macronutrients. Two grams of sugar, 12 grams of protein, 14 grams of fiber. That's one of the best ratios that I've seen for any bar ever. And the bar is good. The flavor is good. They, they did a good job with it. Now, 
What you will see is Dr. Smoot does not have a USDA organic label yet. So I spoke with the team. We talked about all of the sourcing of the ingredients, and um, that is down the pipeline. This is a brand new bar. But yeah, they do yours organic almond butter for sure. And they use ingredients like almonds, pea protein, inulin, but these are all sourced organically. At this point, you won't see it, but the ingredients in here are organic and sourced organically, really, really like beyond organic. This company is like so particular on their products. So yeah, um, I have a bunch at my house and this is the one that I'll eat when I'm on the go. So there you go. Tied for number two, the Aloha and the Garden of Life bar. Not perfect, but... Pretty, pretty impressive bars compared to the rest of the field. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? And experience to prove that it's not only delicious, but it's also health focused. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best, and then my second ever one as one of the best. And it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well being. I'm gonna tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in their process is rooted in health focused principles backed by solid scientific research based rigorous testing. They use the finest specialty-grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication, is my favorite, is their dedication to purity and safety. Their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides, toxins, and harmful mycotoxins, those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health, causing issues like liver and kidney damage, digestive problems, brain fog, and fatigue. Purity Coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity. And this is important because we have to understand coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee. And the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy boosting compounds with every sip. Purity Coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health, animal welfare, and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roast with sweet fruity notes and their dark roast with rich bold taste. So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research-based products, quality supplements that are coming out to you, the highest, the best of the best, some of the best rigorously tested supplements. And one of my favorite companies across the board is Momentus. And they have two that I use every single day, creatine and collagen. These are the two powerhouses at work. I've been open and I've been working out more four times a week. I'm lifting heavy weights and these are staples. And, I, and not just me, I think everyone should be out working out, building muscle, staples to muscle repair and muscle growth. But what sets Momentus apart from the rest is its clinically researched formulas. For the collagen, it delivers 15 grams of collagen, supporting your body in various ways. And it's not just one type of collagen, it's all the types of collagen, right? A lot of companies just have one type of collagen. You want all the types of your body's absorbing and utilizing this collagen the way you desire the body to use it. 
But boy, oh boy, the gold standard for working out, if you're not on this, you don't even have to be working out. You can use it for your brain. It's creatine. Momentous creatine is fantastic. There's no fillers, no additive, pure, effective ingredients you can trust. Trust is everything when it comes to supplements. Momentous third-party test. There's no surprises. What you see on the package is what you get. So if you're like me, you want to feel your body with the best of the best, go to livemomentous.com and use the code DRG for 15% off of creatine and collagen and all their top-notch products. That is L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com with the code DRG for your discount. All right, everyone, super special guest. He, he's calling in from uh, Oregon. And of the first time I heard this guy talk was uh, on a clubhouse and I'm like, I need to get him on the show ASAP. So <laughs> Dr. Austin Perlmutter is an internal medicine physician. He's a writer, he's a researcher, and he is someone who is really stepping into connecting the mind and the body with all of the knowledge and information that he has to give us this information really to understand what's going on and how we can better our overall health. And Austin, man, I am such a fan of your work. Um, I think that you are so, I know that you are super knowledgeable in what you're doing. And there's so much that I wanna to talk to you about and we talked about it off air, how, what we're gonna cover and we're gonna cover it all. But first and foremost, welcome to the show. I wanna know, uh, how did you start getting into this whole mental mind-body connection of health? Christian, thank you so much for having me. And I agree, this is one of these podcasts that I've been really excited to do because like you, I feel like, you know, this is the conversation, this is the space that I, I really care about. And I feel like you've done an amazing job of having these types of conversations in a more public forum. So I'm just excited to be able to engage with you in, in this medium. And, you know, things are overall weird in the world, but we're connecting, having these conversations. Uh, to your question about the mental health space, you know, it was very much a process. Um, I went into medicine, uh, not because I was one of these people who knew from a, a young age, I wanted to be a doctor, had a stethoscope around my neck. Uh, but I went in because I like helping people. I like science and I like communicating ideas. I like synthesizing ideas. And the truth is for a lot of my medical training, uh, actually very similar to many people, my mental health was not good. Uh, anxious symptoms, depressive symptoms. I remember coming home from work and just sitting on the couch because I couldn't think of what else to do that would allow me to feel better. I'd watch TV, uh, you know, eat some junk food, do anything I could to try to get my mental state a little bit better. And there was such a fundamental disconnect with the idea that I was learning about health and yet wasn't able to experience that for myself. And it's something I saw in my patients too, you know, so I did internal medicine, which meant that people would come in with things like high blood pressure and heart disease and diabetes. And I would say we can target that system. Let's bring your blood sugar down. Let's bring your blood pressure down. Let's give you some medication to improve your heart function. And while it was helpful uh, and while people, you know, did get improvement, I didn't necessarily see that they cared about these things the way that I did. Um, and what I realized through this time is that the things that matter to people are the things that directly relate to their mental health. And that I was chasing surrogates in medicine. I was chasing blood pressure, cholesterol, and that what mattered to other people and what mattered to me was looking at the stuff that makes life meaningful, looking at the things that make mental health actionable and making mental health sustainable over the lifespan. So, you know, I had my own uh, discoveries in this space and we can talk about that a bit, 
But when I had time to reflect on all of this and was able to incorporate this into the questions of what are we actually doing in the way that we approach something like depression, I realized that we tend to look at depression through an incredibly superficial lens. We look at it through a construct that has a lot to do with character and some psychological terms, but we don't ask about what's happening within the brain and the body that is driving that condition. And that leads to a lot of blame. It leads to blaming people for the way that they feel. It leads to uh, a lot of uh, this unnecessary um, feeling of, of putting other people under the bus because they can't get themselves to feel better. And I have realized in the last several years doing my own research, publishing on this subject and educating people on this subject, that the biology is profound. So there was a unification there of something that I had wanted kind of my whole medical career, which was to be able to provide preventive care, preventive education, but no longer was that just unique to preventing blood pressure issues, heart disease. It was now specific to something that I really cared about, which is asking how depression exists within the body at a biological sense, and then being able to go upstream from that and provide some of the lifestyle modification and advice that might help people to both prevent and ideally also treat some of what is manifested as depression. I feel that so much because it seems to me that you had so much awareness even before this, right? You, the, the, the intent was to heal, right? But just as you said, in your words, you were chasing surrogates. And that's unfortunately the whole community of how we treat people is we chase these surrogates. But man, kudos on the awareness of having the feeling to step into something that is really, really at the root of so much. And when it comes to mental health, it's incredible. So many of us suffer with a spectrum of depression or anxiety, some sort of overwhelm that it, we're feeling in our body. And to me, a lot of the world is manifesting the way it is because a lot of us are carrying these states, right? These emotional states, these biological states. And you're right. We look outside of us so many times, right? For a quick fix and also throwing people under the bus because we don't know what's happening in our biology. So naturally, then I want to ask, what the heck is happening on our biology? <laughs> Why are so many people, and, and I know it's a complex question, but in your work, in your research, in patients, what, what's happening to so many of us that we're in these states? Right, so let me start with, uh, I think an important point. When you think about a person having a disease, a disease by definition requires a diagnosis. So you could say based on a person's hemoglobin A1C that they have diabetes if it's at one level and if it's below that level, they no longer have diabetes. You could say the same thing about high blood pressure, hypertension. You say they met that criteria, that blood pressure, their systolic blood pressure was high enough. So now you've had a diagnosis of hypertension. And why that's important is because we use these diagnostic codes to guide our treatment, as well as, of course, insurance reimbursement. So it might be appropriate to give one person metformin and insulin because they have a diagnosis of diabetes. But before that, maybe not so clear. As it relates to depression and anxiety, it's the same kind of scenario, right? You, So many times a person will come in, they'd be having a crummy time, but you would basically go through the diagnostic criteria for depression. And so maybe they almost met it, but they didn't quite meet it. And they say that person doesn't have major depression, right? They don't meet the diagnostic criteria. So depending on the estimate you look at, there may be somewhere around 300 million people around the world who are suffering from major depression. But 
the thing that I believe after all of this work that I've been doing is that the continuum is real and that most people don't have good mental health. And I think, Christian, getting to the point you brought up, which is so much of what's happening in the world is a result of that, I totally agree. You know, it isn't just the people who are suffering from severe depression that we need to pay attention to. It's the average person who is dealing with these things and who is having a bad time. Understanding where and when that is preventable and what we can do to offset that is so key. So to the question of what is the biology of this, I want to be clear up front, it isn't completely understood that this is the exact way that depression forms within the body. But I'll go through a couple of, I think, important points in kind of the understanding over the last, let's say, 100 years as to what is driving depression. Or maybe I'll start a little bit earlier. So uh, some people will remember this this town called uh, Babylon. It was located in ancient Mesopotamia thousands of years ago. People back then felt depressed symptoms. Uh, They didn't obviously have a DSM or a diagnostic code for depression, but they still felt down. And this, this is what we can tell from some of their texts. When a person was was having a, a low mood then, they said it was due to an issue with the gods. They had kind of angered their personal gods. It was a something the gods were doing to, to kind of punish them. And then if you fast forward a couple thousand years to ancient Greece, uh, they had a, a better understanding that there was a connection between biology and our cognitive mental state. And so they felt at that point that melancholia, which was again, an early version of describing what we might now call depressive symptoms was connected to a buildup of black bile in the spleen, right? So they had made the connection that biology was involved with depression. These days, we don't necessarily think it's the uh, black bile, at least not in part, uh, not in uh, complete. Um, So the important point here, though, is they started to make this connection with biology and depression. And in the last hundred years, that's where we've really started to see some of these real pathways being uh, brought to the surface. And the one that maybe most people are familiar with is the connection between molecules like serotonin and depression. Uh, so you think of these selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are SSRIs, kind of the most commonly prescribed antidepressants. The way that they're thought to work is that they work on the serotonin system and they increase levels of serotonin in the brain. Serotonin levels in the brain are maybe low in depression, so it brings them up, people feel better. And that that is still the prevailing hypothesis as far as the most popular description as to what might be happening in our biology and depression. The problem with this is that when you give people antidepressant medications like SSRIs, if it was just the serotonin issue, serotonin rises pretty quickly, right? Minutes to hours, but it takes weeks before people get significant benefit from these medications. So the other thing is not everyone gets a benefit from SSRI. So it can't be as simple as just the serotonin piece. Um, so it's really only been kind of in the last couple of decades that some of these other hypotheses had come to the surface as far as helping to explain what's happening in the biology of depression. Um, there are many of them. One that your listeners, I'm sure, are quite familiar with is the stress system and how stress and depression come together. So we know that people who experience adverse childhood events early in life uh, are more likely to experience subsequent depression. We know that people who undergo periods of having significant uh, acute stressors are two and a half times more likely to then develop depression. So there's a lot of connection there between stress and depression. But the the places that I'm spending the majority of my time researching, because I think they're among the most exciting ways of reframing the biology of depression, are two systems within the brain. One is the brain's immune system. 
We can talk about that specifically as it relates to inflammation. This is a powerful tether here, right? Because inflammation is driven by things like our diet. And if diet drives inflammation and inflammation drives depression, we start to see why people who eat a crummy diet are at higher risk for depression. We start to see why people who eat healthy food tend to have lower risk for depression. And then the last one I'll bring up here is neuroplasticity. Again, it's a topic people may have heard about before. It's the idea that the brain rewires itself as a response to what is happening around it. So this is always happening. Your brain is always changing in response to the environment, but it's thought that in depression, there may be issues with this rewiring process. And so many medications today that work for depression are thought to in part have their effect by acting on neuroplastic mechanisms. And that ranges from SSRIs to even things like ECT, which is convulsive therapy, to things like psychedelics, ketamine. Uh, so that's actually one of the dominant hypotheses as to how ketamine works on depression. It activates neuroplasticity. So again, lots of kind of details there for people to dive into if they're interested. But the bottom line is we now have a lot more of an understanding of what might be happening in the brain as it relates to depression. And I think at a very fundamental basic level, what that means is we no longer have to just blame people or blame ourselves for feeling down. We say there's biology involved. There are changes within our body that we can understand and that we can destigmatize because this is a reflection of your character flaw. It's now a reflection of biology that we can influence. Mm -hmm. And how empowering is that? That we can influence that mechanism of inflammation that happens in the brain. Do you see psychology, medicine, psychiatry, everything as a whole moving to that paradigm where we go, okay, maybe it's not just specifically the neurotransmitters. Maybe now we're stepping into a paradigm that's new, that is more expansive, and also that we have a lot more intervention control over. Do you see that moving that way or are we very far away just to get a gauge? Right. So I would just be clear, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist. I do um, speak with a lot of people in this space. I do lecture to psychiatrists. Mm -hmm. um, there is a, a general theme in medicine towards precision and personalization that is definitely happening. And it does seem like in part that's happening more in the kind of entrepreneurial startup med tech space than it is in the clinical space. Um, but personalization is already happening in psychiatry. Uh, you know, if a person has a history or a family has a history of depression and certain medications have worked for that family, that gets factored in as far as what medications might be recommended for that person if they are experiencing depression. Um, where I see this, this really happening uh, isn't so much in addressing these various systems that are involved, but more just, you know, we have a wider range of potential therapeutics and people are interested because they seem to work. So if it's diet, if it's uh, ketamine, if it's potentially even other psychedelic medicines, you know, the, the mechanisms as to why they work, uh, I think for the average person is not so interesting for so many clinicians, maybe isn't quite as interesting, but the efficacy data is what is going to get people involved. Um, where I see this going, where it hasn't gone yet, but where I see this going, is if we can start to understand the relative contribution to these different systems to the experience of depression, then we can start to target that with various lifestyle and pharmaceutical interventions. And there's early data to support this as it relates to the inflammation depression connection. 
So you can look at a person's levels of inflammation, um, which you would do by measuring from the blood, right? So you would measure levels of what are called cytokines. And Christian, stop me at any point if you want more detail or less detail on this stuff. But if you were to take a blood sample, you could look at markers called cytokines, which are immune markers of inflammation. And based on the levels of certain cytokines, you might be able to predict the efficacy of an antidepressant medication. You may also be able to predict in general whether a person is going to have resistance to conventional antidepressant medications. So where that might, you know, in the near future play out is if you measure a person's cytokines, their levels of inflammation, and those are high, you might not recommend one drug and instead recommend another drug. Similarly, you might recommend a dietary intervention for somebody who has high levels of inflammation and depression, because we know that there is a strong correlation between what we eat and our levels of inflammation versus if their inflammation levels were relatively normal, you might think about, is there something going on with the neuroplasticity pathway, with the stress pathway, or is it maybe more of a, a monoamine, which is basically a technical term for something like serotonin. So maybe that would be better targeted with kind of a conventional therapy. Mm -hmm. And, and to think that the landscape of this medicine is becoming more personalized. And now we're having, hopefully everyone getting their blood markers tested, especially if they go, doc, I haven't been feeling myself in the past six months and it's getting worse. Let's immediately start looking at these things. My hope is that in the next few years, we start, it starts becoming much more of a commonplace. You mentioned about food and inflammation and we know so many of us, and, and you know what? I don't have to stop you. This is an incredibly smart audience that we have. They're on it. So, um, and, and just educated when it comes to medicine, um, especially if they've, they've just, they're, they're so curious to know. So they're, they're on it. They'll research. They hear cytokines. I can already hear the keyboards clacking away. Um, what about what else? Is there, are there other things aside from food that are really dictating the inflammatory spectrum that could be affecting our brain and our mood? Uh, and for people listening or viewing, okay, they go, all right, you know what? I eat pretty healthy. I still feel really off. What are other mm -hmm. things that we can start incorporating in our lives to better our emotional states? This is a great question. And I love that you're asking it because I think often we, we hear about experts saying, you know, it's all about food. And if you're, if you change your diet, that fixes everything. And sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and sometimes we can't just, you know, change our diets completely. There are other reasons, you know, you think about you're a teenager, you're still living at home, your parents eat a crummy diet, maybe you can't go and eat all organic, all health food all the time. So what else can we be doing to offset this inflammation? Uh, two of the things that I think people don't think about, I'm going to bring up, and then we can talk about some of the other ones like exercise and sleep that people tend to talk about more. Um, the two things that I would advise people to pay more attention to are the media that you're consuming and the nature you aren't getting. And we can dive into both of those in a little bit more detail, but kind of the, the take home from that is, I think people don't understand that the signals coming in through your eyes and ears activate the immune system in the same way that food does, that the, the stress we experience as a result of the news we consume or the media that we scroll through has the same effect on our immune system that eating a terrible diet might, and that it can increase inflammation by route of the stress pathways in the brain. So I think we really need to be paying attention to everything that we're consuming, not just our food, but the content that we're taking in. And then on the flip side of that, 
I think that something people tend to uh, not pay attention to enough as it relates to a positive thing we can be doing for our immune systems is basically getting off of the grid a little bit and engaging with nature. There's a variety of different studies at this point that have shown that nature exposure seems to have positive effects on the immune system directly, but also seemingly through the stress mechanisms that nature exposure appears to de-stress us. It also has a bunch of really fascinating other benefits where it helps us to make potentially better decisions. We can talk about that research if you like, but also it seems to connect us to other people. It promotes empathy. So I think, you know, sleep, exercise, fundamental to kind of keeping our immune systems and keeping our mood in the right spot. But these other things are, are maybe these easy hacks that we might not be paying attention to where we might get a huge value from just changing our little bit, the way that we are experiencing media day to day and the way that we're engaging with nature. Austin, thank you for saying that because we're talking about free interventions. What you just mentioned costs nothing, right? You can find time, like you said, the media that you're consuming and the, the nature you're not. We can find time to go, I'm just going to turn off my TV. What am I doing? This isn't truth to me, and this is making my nervous system feel like it's contracting. And my immune system is reacting in that exact way, right? It's overstimulating, causing inflammation, right? The signals that we see through our eyes, like you said. And to, to liken it to, I can be eating a really healthy diet, and I can be really watching so much fear-based media. It's like I'm eating a really crappy diet. What is the diet for if we're consuming that? Which is crazy to, for so, so many people here because we don't make that connection. And then just being yeah, out that, of nature, man. That, that's right. So let's just dive into that in a little bit more detail. Um, something that has become abundantly clear, and I think most people maybe understand this implicitly, is that the quality of our media is not good overall. I'm not saying there isn't great media out there. I'm not saying there isn't great news out there. But by and large, what we've seen is that people who produce content understand that humans have certain kind of psychological crutches or psychological uh, ways of seeing the world. And one of those is that we pay attention to the negative. We can't turn away when people are telling us about all the terrible things happening in the world. And there's uh, or, or, or a number of reasons why that might be the case. Um, the one that makes the most sense to me is evolutionarily, we had to pay attention to the things that might take us out of the game that might kill us. Not so important to think about the really positive things, right? It should occupy more space in our brains. But when you are paying attention to media and that media is telling you the world is ending every single day, it's really hard to turn that off. So there's kind of, again, this negativity bias that is used by the news media in order to get us to maintain our attention on the content that they're providing. The other thing is, we pay attention to sensationalized content, right? We can't turn away when things are seemingly really either terrible or even really positive, but basically we pay attention to the things that are outside of the usual, outside of the norm. And so if you are producing content, you are going to push towards the extremes in a bid to keep people's attention on what you're doing. Um, there are a number of other things that we could talk about as it relates to social media. I mean, I think the social comparison piece is another kind of evolutionary mechanism that is really important because it was always really important for us to fit in in the tribe, right? You didn't want to be cast out into the forest. These days, though, that social kind of uh, interaction happens so quickly and happens in a way that is 
is honestly so different from what our biology is trying to protect us from that we we can't really differentiate when it's an important signal and not. And so we're just constantly seeking social approval that ramps people up and causes them to produce images and content that isn't actually realistic. So we're comparing ourselves with things that don't actually exist in the real world. And for all of these reasons, it kind of changes, I think, the way that uh, that our brains perceive reality. Um, the other thing I'll just say on this is you consider what it's like to go out into nature and then you consider what it's like to wade into social media. And I think there's a very real opportunity cost with that, where if we're spending all of our time on social media, taking in this stressful content, we are not taking in the type of content that helps to regulate our brain function, that helps to shift us more to a state of reflection versus a state of reactivity. And so all of this can then be tethered to understanding why certain people may be at risk of having worse mental health as a result of taking in too much of the wrong types of media and why many people seem to get a mental health benefit from going out into nature for as you know little as 20 minutes once a week has actually been correlated with lower levels of cortisol in people's saliva. We're not talking about anything too crazy here. So I think that those are kind of the opposite poles of the spectrum here, where one is this incredibly artificial world that has been created to basically capture our attention. And the other side is the most natural world possible where there's no incentive for nature to do anything, right? It's not trying to steal our attention. It's not trying to take our money. It's just yeah. there. Yeah. And just there. And that's, and that is what our nervous system, our biology, our immune system knows and evolved with. And those are the signals, the very signals that really, you know, I remember Austin, I had this patient who was suffering from depression. She came to me and man, I, it, we, we tested her blood, inflammatory proteins, inflammatory markers. I put her on an amazing diet. I put her, I, I said, here, look, these supplements have been shown that they, they can help, especially with your stress response. She didn't even start any of that. Do you know what she did before anything? She didn't even put her money into buying any, anything, st even starting her diet. All she did was, and she lived near nature, she walked in nature, she just changed her habit. Instead of waking up, going on her phone, getting dressed, drinking coffee, and hurrying up and going to work, she just went, made time to go on a 30-minute walk every morning. She called me back a month later, and she's like, hey, Dr. G, I'm cured. I don't need, to, I don't need you anymore. I said, <laughs> okay, wow, what happened? And she's like, I, I promise you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be eating healthy and everything, but I just noticed that I haven't been in nature for years. She's like, I yeah. can't believe that I would wear my shoes, not even take off my shoes and put my feet on the ground. I can't believe that I lived by a forest and I wouldn't go into the mm -hmm. forest. She would just be so lost in this world of, like you said, images and stimulus that are completely not real. And then she's finally coming back to her own self and reflecting. And that allowed all the stuff that she needed to look at to come up. But regardless, that was her, her cure, not everyone's, but her cure was right there in front of her. And that's the power of nature. Now let's chat about something crucial that is omega-3s. You know I'm all about keeping clean and pure when it comes to products as well as food on my plate. But when it comes to supplements, right? We have to make sure we have the best of the best, but especially when it comes to omega-3s. And, and I really mean it. Omega-3s are some of the most adulterated supplements that exist out there. And a lot of companies aren't doing it right. We need omega-3s for our heart, for our brain, for our eye health. You might not be getting enough nutritionally. When it comes to Peori, 
It's a quality brand, not only just with Omegas across their whole line. They're extremely transparent. Every batch undergoes rigorous testing against over 200 contaminants, and you could check the results for yourself. And that's one of my favorite things. You can scan the QR code and look at the batch that is right in front of you that is on your shelf or on your counter, and you can see the results for this quality testing. Pure's O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil delivers a potent dose of EPA and DHA without any unnecessary extras. Now, Pure is offering 20% off of their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil, the one that I take every single morning, and all their fantastic products to you, the Heal Thyself listener. That's 20% off even the already discounted subscription price. I want you to go to Puri.com. Use my promo code DRG. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash DRG to take care of your health with some of the best omegas out there by Puri. These days... These days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water, or kombucha, or coffee or tea. But not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes. Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha, not just for energizing my body, you know, we all want to get that caffeine kick. Yeah, okay. But for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting and antioxidant benefits, the phytonutrients nurture my digestive system, the EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently. And the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see, I'm glowing right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up. So easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha, plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com slash DRG. They're so confident that you're going to love it. There's even a 30-day money-back guarantee. No code at checkout. Just go to P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E dot com slash drg you're going to get 15 percent off plus all those freebies i i love that i love that story you know i've experienced something similar um nature was my my mental health drug when i was in residency you know we talked about i live up here in portland oregon it's super gloomy for half of the year but you get outside in the trees you breathe in that air you you see like this life all around you the greenery all around you and for me you know n of one here but it was therapeutic uh, to the extreme. How many of us go out in nature and we go, I'm still angry like I was before I came out in nature, man. I was telling you, I went to the beach this morning. The beach is my cure, man. (laughs) I can't step on the beach, go by the shoreline, put my feet in the water, come back out and and be more frustrated than I was before I went or be more sad, right? Or can't be carried. It's just, it's the most beautiful way of whatever, whether it's negative ions, whether it's aromatics in the air, there's something there, energetics, that really put us back in this crazy, amazing space. Now, let Let me just throw in one study here because I think it's interesting. So when they took people in a natural setting in a forest and they measured with EEG their brainwaves, they found those brainwaves changed as a result of how dense the nature around them was. So, I mean, there are a number of ways to approach this. You can look at stress markers, inflammatory markers, psychological markers like mental health, but the bottom line is, that nature changes our brains. 
right? So nature changes the way that we perceive the world around us. It changes the way that we interact with other people. It changes the way that we interact with ourselves and within ourselves. So I think that, you know, like this lady who you described with the story, we may not understand exactly what's happening here, but these types of anecdotes are anything but uncommon. And the one thing I would say to people is, you know, we often don't understand how we're actually spending our time in the course of a day. And I get it. You know, many of us have jobs that require us to be in front of a desk for eight plus hours. I can understand that. But if you were to map out the hours in the day and ask, what is the content you're consuming at each of those intervals? I think you would recognize that it tends to be this incredibly stressful and sensationalized and unhelpful content. So the fact that even a 30 minute nature walk can help offset that just speaks to the power of nature on having this positive effect on our psychology. And that's why I just recommend to basically everyone find a way to interact with nature at least once a day. It can be an indoor plant. It can, in some cases, just be, you know, going outside, sitting under a tree. You don't have to do something with nature. I think the opposite is actually even more helpful. Just be in nature. This is the whole study of what's called Shinrin Yoku. It's a, a Japanese field of research, but the idea is being out into nature or out in nature, no agenda, just basically present in it has these psychological benefits. So coming back to what we said before, I don't have a financial incentive here. I haven't invested in, you know, nature stocks. <laughs> just, just try it out and you'll see how powerful it can be. Oh man, thank you for quoting that study too. It's so empowering because all of us, especially as Americans go, we don't have enough time. I don't really have enough time to walk today. Do you have 20 minutes? Because I, I sure as hell have 20 minutes to scroll on Instagram. You know, I have 20 <laughs> minutes to put up a picture and comment on stuff. We all have that 20 minutes if we just look at how we can integrate it. And um, it's so it's so motivating because even if you live in the Northeast, like when I was doing my residency in Philly, I was like, oh my God, I'm between patients and I have to find a way in 30 minutes to eat my lunch, but also go on a nature walk because we had a little nice, <laughs> we had a beautiful like pathway in this cancer hospital. And man, I came back and I can show up for my patients or even whatever it is, patients work, however, whatever you're doing, you show up better. Even if it's in the middle of the day or after you show up for your family better, however it is, it's like nature's the answer, man. And I understand why you live in the woods. Uh, <laughs> awesome stuff. Now, you're as passionate as me when it comes to really these agents that can be so powerful for mental health and they're on the forefront. And man, I, every time I open my Instagram, there's a new breakthrough study or a, a new advocate. Uh, it's, in a brand, it's in a medium that is like reaching the, the whole world and it's psychedelics. And one massive stigma. I remember I was talking to my dad about it and he's like, oh, no, no, no be very careful because he's he you know he was in the 60s and 70s where they thought about psychedelics very differently than we do from the especially as practitioners you and I one are psychedelics helping mental health are they changing the landscape where are we going with them what are some of the things you've seen in that space that have made you go as a practitioner whoa this is really powerful stuff let's dive in because this is my probably my favorite topic in medicine it's, it's, it's a fantastic topic because I think that, you know, when you look at things that uh, have a, a possibility or a potential to really, to provide orders of magnitude more benefit than what people are experiencing in the day-to-day -day right now, I think this is one of those. Um, so let's, for listeners, talk a little bit about the history of psychedelics, what brought us to the current moment, and then we'll talk about some of the clinical research, and then we'll talk about maybe 
some of the things in that space that I am most interested in learning about. Um, if you've read uh, How to Change Your Mind, Michael Pollan's book, or, or anything heard of anything in this space, some of this will be familiar. But the bottom line is there was a period of time where psychedelic research was doing great. You know, the 1950s or so, there were tons of studies coming out. And in this time, from the 1950s era on, they actually put out around a thousand different publications as it related to psychedelic benefits uh, or psychedelic research. Um, you know, this, this research had been done on thousands, tens of thousands of people, uh, and it was really gaining a lot of traction. And then for a variety of reasons, uh, you know, many of these political seemingly um, it was thought that the psychedelics had an outsized potential to do harm. And that had uh, something to do with the fact that these molecules had left the lab, people were using them in a recreational context, and it was just seen by the government for one reason or another that it was important to regulate the use of these molecules, these medicines. And so uh, basically, they were, they were criminalized and the research really slowed to a halt. Now, I will say, you know, Kind of getting back to the historical context as to have psychedelics been around for some time, you know, Christian, I know you know this very well. Um, societies around the world had been using these molecules for thousands of years. I mean, there's uh, carbon dating showing that these molecules, like I think it was peyote, was around like 5,700 years ago. Um, and then there's evidence that these molecules had been used by humans, um, you know, even thousands of years prior to that. There's evidence that they may have been used in ancient Greece as part of some of these. Uh, ceremonies. So the bottom line is people had been using them for a long time. They became popular in the mid 20th century uh, as a result of a variety of things, but in part the fact that they had been synthesized by a chemist um, and had been made more readily available. So there was this period that went from, again, you know, kind of like the middle of the 20th century up until pretty recently that they were seen as uh, disasters, right? They were reprogramming people's minds. They were leading to a variety of ne uh, negative outcomes as it relates to brain function. And it got to the point which, you know, for people who haven't heard about this, look up MK Ultra. It's fascinating. We don't have time to go into all of that. Mm -hmm. But the CIA was experimenting with these molecules, including LSD, psilocybin, MDMA, giving them to people with the understanding that they might lead to their ability to impose mind control on these participants. Uh, so really very poor understanding of what these chemicals actually did. Little side note here. This is one of the subplots to Stranger Things. So if you've seen yes, that show, I read that. Check. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. But um, basically, you know, the CIA was doing research with these molecules over the course of the middle of the 20th century, uh, even at the time where they were pretty much illegal for people to be using recreationally. And you have only in the last couple of decades a resurgence of interest in using these molecules in both. Uh, primarily in a research context. And there are a number of reasons for that. But one of the most empowering pieces of all of this is that the literature to date has suggested that these molecules, psychedelic molecules, may be some of the most potent medicines we have available for mental health conditions. And so just briefly here, the areas that I believe have been best studied as it relates to the positive effect of psychedelics on mental health conditions would be for treatment resistant uh, major depressive disorder. And that would be for ketamine, psilocybin, and ayahuasca. For treatment resistant PTSD, and that would be MDMA and LSD. And then there's uh, good research for kind of end of life distress. And so that would be LSD and psilocybin. There's also research for obsessive compulsive disorder, alcohol use, and smoking cessation. 
And again, you know, there's it's still relatively early as it relates to large scale data around these molecules. But the bottom line is the signal that we've seen so far, or at least the way that I would interpret the signal we've seen so far, is that these may be some of the most efficacious molecules possible as it relates to refractory mental health conditions. So where the science is right now, where the research is right now, it seems to be primarily in treating people who didn't get benefit from conventional therapeutics. Where I'm hoping things move is to consider these in times first-line therapeutic agents. And I see you nodding here, so I'm glad that you, that you agree with me. Um, it seems so strange you know, that we are as concerned about psychedelics as we are, given the fact that the safety profile is actually quite fantastic. And you think about SSRIs, where around 50% of people have significant side effects, sexual side effects, GI side effects. Those are not medications that are clean medications. But then you think about psychedelics, and you see that the safety profile for people who are using these in the right set and setting, you know, in the right context, is really fantastic, um, that the rates of significant side effects are very low. And so really what I, I hope we're moving towards is a situation where we can have an objective discussion about the therapeutic potential of these molecules, independent of all of the political kind of nonsense over the last century, and ask, you know, how are we doing with mental health around the planet? We've already talked about this. We're doing really bad. We're doing a horrible job managing mental health. Do we have uh, potential therapeutics with a risk-benefit ratio that seems practical? And I would say, yes, psychedelics represent that. And then it's just a question of saying, how can we implement these in a way that is most efficacious to the person who needs them? So there's a lot of progress being made. As I mentioned, I live here in Oregon. In Oregon, they have recently decriminalized many of these substances. There is a movement towards getting uh, basically therapists certified to be able to use things like psilocybin in a clinical context. Currently, you can really only use these in clinical trial form. It's all very exciting. Where I spend the majority of my time as it relates to psychedelics uh, is in investigating how it maps onto these pathways that I've described as it relates to things like depression, because I think that it's really important for people to understand this isn't all just like a psychological mind type thing. Granted, that's a key piece of it. So having that profound spiritual experience does predict a higher rate of people having positive mental health outcomes. But what we're seeing is that these molecules, just like conventional drugs, activate the pathways that are involved in the brain in the context of depression. So I mentioned this earlier, ketamine appears to work in large part by activating neuroplasticity. It has an effect on changing the way the brain wires itself in a positive way. Molecules like psilocybin, LSD, these are kind of the classical psychedelics. They work by binding to a serotonin receptor called the 2A receptor. And so we would think that is in part what bind or that binding uh, is related to kind of the uh, psychological experience, the kind of trippiness of the drugs. But what we now understand too, is that our immune cells have the 2A receptor. We now understand that these receptors and also other receptors um, like the Sigma receptor are involved with the immune system as well. So the point of it is, this is a physical molecule that has these signaling effects on all of these biological pathways involved in mental health conditions. And if we look at it that way, we can say, look, this is a legitimate substance that acts on these pathways in a positive way for people with depression. So hopefully that can placate people who say, I need a scientific understanding for it. Right. But the other piece of this, and I know this is something that you've spoken about before, is that there is this this disconnect between uh, kind of like biology and the spiritual experience 
that so many of us need more of in order to be in a good mental state. And I think that, you know, I'll just be honest about it. You know, in my life, there have been, there's been nothing else that has been able to create that portal between the kind of uh, idea of what the world is supposed to be and the reality of what it could be. And I think just seeing through that for a moment is a powerful treatment for many people, myself included, in being able to shake off so much of, I think, what leads to feelings of discontent in the modern world. Mm -hmm. Man, thank you for even giving us those mechanisms and understanding how is it really working in the body and the level that where we can, in science, go, yeah, actually, we do know those receptors and they do have efficacy and they can change people's mental states and they can modulate the immune system. It's incredible to hear this, right? And thank you for giving us that scientific benefit. But for me, beyond that is like you said, the spiritual aspect, understanding, whoa, this is what the world can be? Wait, this is who I can be. This is how I can show up, right? Because it all starts with you, right? You're given this sense of self and you see that which everything you are and always have been. And then you see that which is holding you back, right? And for me, it all starts with you, right? Because people feel that frequency and they have the permission to be themselves, right? And, mm -hmm. and let go of that which is not them. And it's just a cascade. For me, I have a friend out here who's, who is really big in the psychedelic space. And she says that psychedelics can save the world in many ways. And for me, it's like, whoa, if, if people just had the moment to put away and aside the stigma and be in a beautiful sentence setting and ceremony and finally meet themselves for the first time in their lives, mm. what the world would be after one night if the whole world did it. I, I, I would be hard pressed to say the world would be the way it is. Maybe we go back to our egoic ways, maybe we do, but at least we can't unknow or unsee that which we touched on. I, I love that. I mean, I think so much of it is, is breaking down the shell, you know, the walls that we put up over the decades of our lives and letting us see the, the lack of necessity of all of that and, and who we are independent of all of the, all of the shell we put on as a, a face to the outside world. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's such an important conversation and many people, uh, are in the space of saying psychedelics can save the world and we just need everyone to use them. Um, I think the majority of people right now aren't ready for that for a variety mm -hmm. of reasons. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be shown. They don't want to walk that path. And I guess the piece that I'm most interested in is the question of what is it that people are so concerned about when it relates to other people using them? You know, because I think there are so many people out there who are of the mind that, uh, these are just bad molecules, right? And that we should, and should here in quotes, be capable of enjoying life just as well without the use of things like that. And of course, you know, no issues with drinking coffee, which we know has significant effects on the way we perceive the world. But or alcohol. Yeah, or I mean, that's a that's an even more extreme version, right? No issues with alcohol being legal and used by people around the world. Um, but I guess, you know, like the question would be, what is, what is the big pushback to it? And what problems do people have with the idea that other people are using this? You know, not even, let's say, in the context of having a, a diagnosed mental health condition, but just to improve their overall quality of life. And I think there's a lot of misinformation that has been put out as far as the effects of these drugs on the brain in a negative sense, 
Um, you know, one of the things that I learned in my medical training was MDMA, for example, which is kind of based around an amphetamine molecule, uh, has neurotoxic effects that MDMA leads to all of these negative effects on the brain function. And, you know, there were some, some studies that supported that. And then on further review, I realized there are a lot of method, uh, methodological flaws with the way that that information was prevent or presented. And perhaps more importantly, it's in part the fact that these drugs are illegal that makes it likely that they're going to be cut with or tainted with other molecules that can have those neurotoxic effects. And obviously we've seen a, a shift in the way that America uh, feels about marijuana, right? In that in many states now, it isn't considered illegal for a person to purchase, possess um, THC. But it just seems like it's a, a very slow uh, progression for people to be comfortable with other people or even themselves, uh, allowing a difference in the way that they see the world and to question in that sense. So where I start with people uh, is nothing to do with psychedelics. It's just the fundamental question of, do you feel comfortable asking questions about the way the world is? Because if the answer to that question is no, if they're like, I want to do everything I can to preserve this very tenuous uh, understanding of reality, I don't think that's a person for whom psychedelics are necessarily uh, the first thing I would think of. Um, I think you have to do a lot of work to get your brain into a place where you're receptive to that. Um, sure. And I, you know, I talk with a lot of people who are, are working in clinical studies and who are working in ketamine clinics. And one of the concerns I have is the idea that we can just use one of these molecules, fix our mental health, and then go about our day-to-day -day immediately afterwards. And that's why the integration piece is so key. Uh, integration in the general sense, you know, we need far more of that in our day-to-day -day lives, but especially uh, kind of in the aftermath of using one of these mind-altering substances. And um, that's a, the fairest question you can ever ask, right? And it's slow. I agree. And we mentioned that the alcohol thing is so much weaved into the fabric where that's mind-altering, right? Uh, but it is slow. And that is a question we should all ask ourselves. I think more people than not are going to say, no, I'm actually not content with the world the way it is. And, mm -hmm. and I would like to see the world in a different place. And that's the first step for me. And, and whatever my experiences were, it took me years before I was just even comfortable with myself and the world to be able to be like, I don't like the world the way it is. I, we, we, we need to change a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, anyway, look, we can have a full other <laughs> podcast conversation on this, but, um, I want, I want to bring people to you, um, and your work and how do we find you? What are any projects you're working on? Where, where, where can, where can we lead our eyes to more of Dr. Austin Perlmutter? I really appreciate that. Uh, the easiest place to find out what I'm up to is my website, which is austinperlmutter.com. Um, I also have, um, social media. So you can find me if you search Austin Perlmutter on Instagram and then finally, I do have a podcast. Uh, it's called Get the Stuck Out. And you can find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, et cetera. Um, yeah, I mean, really what we've talked about is where I'm, I'm working to be. Uh, I think having the conversations about mental health and being willing to ask, you know, what's behind this, both from a biological perspective and from kind of a psychological stuckness perspective, that for me feels like the right spot. Uh, as far as me being able to hopefully help with the conversation and interact with other people like you. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate this opportunity to talk about these topics. I'll say this before we uh, sign off, Austin, you are the um, evolution of what a doctor should be and can ah, too be kind. and will be. 
and um, I see the world going that way. I do, uh, even though uh, traditional medical school is very slow. There's a lot of people who are moving in a space, seeing the world bigger picture and seeing health connected to the mind and the body and interactions outside of us and community and nature, all of the things which we need to have discussions and conversations about. And you are standing on your pedestal of, of, of expertise to give that to us. And I thank you for that. And um, what an awesome conversation. I enjoyed it so much. We touched on the topics that bring me fire. And I really hope that uh, the viewers and listeners feel the same way. Thank you so much, Austin, for coming on the show. Yeah. Christian, thank you for all your work and really appreciate it. All right. And that's a wrap.